the I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. This Friday. Are you ready? Damn right. Summer. Let's turn and burn. Takes flight. Nice. Critics agree. Yes! Top Gun Maverick must be seen on the biggest screen possible. Come on! Tom Cruise. Having any fun yet? Top Gun Maverick. Rated PG-13. Hi there. I'm Adam Kibas. And this is my novel, Life Choices. It has been years for now. Frederick Mulham has stopped counting. Years since he abandoned home, left. But some of, of these memories of the past still linger. Frederick Malhelm still thinks about the day he, he went out of his home, got in to the bus and drove somewhere, anywhere. He wanted to get away. He wanted to find a place where people understand him, see him, grasp his potential, grasp what he is capable of and of course see the wounded child the one whose true parents never loved him all these old stories they do not much change do they however Frederick Malham did not get far he got out at the next big city during the bus ride, everything seems to be possible. People apparently would be waiting for him. They would be, he only would to enter somewhere, ask for something, ask for a job and no problem at all. And he will get a job, any kind of job. But when he uh, got out of the bus, things become really difficult because he felt embarrassed. Embarrassed because he had to ask people. He had to prove himself. He thought of other people, of ordinary people, as not capable. Seeing through the facade, seeing what he is really capable of, who he is and what he can do. He felt that it would be a great embarrassment just to ask people because he had never learned to ask for something. In this private school, he only had to work on cue write the answers down on their exams. That's all what was 
demanded from him. Learn something by heart and then write it down when people ask and demand it from him. But the real world was a bit different. School did not prepare him for it. How could they? Because they assumed that everyone, every student would sooner or later attend college. No one assumed. And this was pretty much unheard of that students of that private school, of that high-esteemed elite high school would just cease to move, would just stop halfway through, would not go on and go forward with their, their lives. They did not understand or grasp that some do not get the message or decode the message in a different way. So there he was, Frederick Malham, in the middle of a big city journal, without knowing where to go, without knowing what to do. He could not ask for help. Why? Because he did not know how to ask for help. He could not just walk around and ask people. No, his arrogance prevented him from doing so. Because no matter what, no matter what, he thought of himself as the one who has the answers, as the one who knows best. And people never have really understood him, the misunderstood child. So it did not take long until Frederick landed on the street. It was summer. He didn't mind sleeping on a park bench. It was not a big deal after all. A little bit of sweat, a little bit of smell. So what? He came so far. And this was the moment when he dreamed about all scenarios. When one day, one day, he would come back, he would accomplish something. He would show it them all, all those classmates who ignored him or did not see him as one of their own, who did not see his potential. This is how he thought. He did not think about his fault, his failure in grasping the last opportunity and the last chance life gives you. Not at all. He thought of it as a great betrayal. And there he stood. All these plans ruminating in his mind all what he could do, all what he could accomplish. Nothing seems to be far away. And this was exactly the key. All those plans, they were far away. They did not need immediate pursuit. They did not 
needed him to be active at once. Get up, get his things together and go for it, run for it. They were in the distance. And he flattered himself with the notion that he has the potential, that he can accomplish something that he is special, gifted. He imagined himself as the hero who becomes victim of the society, of a false system. A system who does not care for their children. A system who can't see the uniqueness, the specialness of some individuals. A cold system, a heartless system which does not care about anyone at all but for themselves. Frederick Malhelm did actually never read anything of Marx and communism. But if he had, he would have immediately announced that he was one of them, that he was one of those burnt children, one of those lost souls who had to fight to bring down the system. A system which is to its core unjust. So years went by, years went by, nothing changed. Frederick was still at the same place. Now he had a tent and he was living in a homeless community with other people around him, other people who had in a way uh, real worries, who had been not given a second chance. People who fell through the social net, who did not find a place in society. People who were really left behind, forgotten, lost potentials. A society which cuts in its own flesh. And Frederick Mulhelm saw himself as one of them. No matter how many chances life would have given him, he probably wouldn't have grasped them. And there he was. Looking around, at the beginning, he thought about life on the streets as not something bad. He thought a bit about it as tough, 
that he is not one of those privileged people who are living in, you know what, in places like gated communities. No, he faces the harsh, rough reality. He sees what really happened in the world. And he sees society not only from a different angle, but from a real perspective. Frederick was sure that he lives and sees the point black hideous life. He flattered himself. He put himself on a pedestal. He thought of himself as an unequal, someone who has surpassed their classmates, who probably, and he kept thinking about it, he kept ruminating about it, that his former classmates probably, or most certainly, attended college, succeeded, but their degrees would mean nothing. Their degrees, whatever they have, is not worth the paper. Why? Because for Frederick Maher, Malhelm, it was not real. They did not represent real life. They did not grasp the gist of the system. This is how he saw it. That his classmates, that those so-called overachievers, that they would be nothing else but failures. Failures of society. A society which would not have any goal, which would not have any pursuit, which would go anywhere, lose it, itself somewhere into nowhere. Who knows about this? Who thinks about that? Frederick thought of himself as chosen. He was not one of them. He did not pursue fairy tales. No, he partook in real life and he fought. And this was one of those vivid imaginations, daydreams, as they are called, when he would one day attend a ceremony, a class meeting of his former classmates. And he would tell them about the reality of life, about the dire situation of real people and all the successes and all the accomplishments of his fellow classmates. They would evaporate. They would not mean a thing when he starts talking about what he experienced on the street, the real life, how people generally feel, suffer.
experience joy and sadness. What do they know? What do those people who, according to Frederick, live above all others, distant to reality, what do they know? Nothing. But more and more, when the years passed by and still nothing would change and still Frederick would be stuck at the same spot. He grew stump, desperate, or a perfect The world outside him became a distant, mere a flicker, a flicker which occasionally glares up like the lights of a passing car, of a passing train, a honk of a car which rushes past in full speed. Life became far away, detached. Frederick lived through the few memories he had in life. They were real cherry picks and they were intermingled with him becoming the hero of his story, becoming a celebrity, a great and well-accomplished entrepreneur, a specialist, a scientist, whatever you have that can bring you fame. And on these days, with these daydreams, with these self-flatterings, he could somehow still make sense about his life. Because there were days, and there were many, when he would wake up, would look around in his tent and outside would look around at the people who do not seem to have any hope whatsoever to ever coming back on their feet. He would think about this life as miserable. He could not flatter it away anymore. He could not They dream another scenario anymore because he had used those memories for way too often. He had dreamed those dreams of self grandeur too often so they so that they became worn off. They did not have any taste anymore. They did not have any self graduation anymore. They were just 
shallow, like a shell, one gradually and increasingly grows out of, which do not have any meaning anymore. And these days were the hardest. Because then he would wander around aimlessly, trying to get some bucks to shoot up, because reality had become unbearable. It did not have any flavor anymore, a tasteless, and everything that seemed to Elevate one's pain was closing the eyes, dreaming. Cast your mind away and the world and all your worries seem to be a distant shadow anymore. Frederick thought about this in a great deal and using drugs was necessary. It gave him a way out. Make life bearable. It was necessary at the moment when he could not dream away, when thinking, when imagining a great scenario, some escape, some Resort whatever you have when he could not garner the strength anymore. When his memories failed him. When he sometimes looked in pity back. Maybe he did wrong. But these Thoughts were immediately, immediately swept aside, and a notion would prevail that he was brought of it. He was betrayed from life, and he would only think about those moments of his past life, and he would go over them over and over again, and he would ruminate about the very moment, one moment, one point in his life where he thought he had lost it all, where he thought that it became apparent that life betrayed him, that something precious was taken from him. And he tried to pin point, make out this very moment, the exact spot when his life would derail. And these thoughts are very common among those people who hit rock bottom, people who cannot face their own faults, who cannot sit and analyze themselves 
properly because it is too painful, because it is too unbearable. No. You turn the world outward. You look into the world and do not put a mirror to your face. And the world, the people, and all what happened to him was nothing but unfair. It is true, indeed. He could not have chosen where he grew up. It was not his choice. It was not his decision that his father ran off. It was not his decision that he grew up as the son of a college dropout. But didn't he get any chances? For Frederick, it was a clear life took joy from him. And whenever he thinks, whenever he thought about all those moments, he could have in his imagination, whenever he imagines that one day he will go back and show everyone, his mother, his classmates, show them all what he has accomplished. But then, hits again reality, hits again rock bottom in his imagination and everything seems to be too distant, too unfetchable, too translucent, fading, fleeing. Then he grew bitter. Bitter because life be trade him bitter because according to him he was not given a proper chance well Frederick wasn't alone he lived in this homeless community and he had a friend And this friend, he he could share with him all the thoughts. He he could share with him his sorrows, and he would understand someone. He he had found someone who could understand his pain, because Frederick more and more grasped that if he starts talking about his life, the life he left behind, the boy he was who attended a private school, who had it all but apparently threw it all away. People did not listen his heart pain anymore. They did not listen to all what he had to say, how life be him. They only saw and chided him for one thing, that he threw it all away. But Jason Biggs, he was different. 
because Jason Biggs or called Biggie. He grew up in a middle class family. His father was a then he was an upstart. His father himself grew up very poor. But he he was studious, he was smart, and he had this drive, this drive which many upstarts have who come from a poor background to accomplish great. Within the middle class people mostly compete for accomplishments. They have one or two families whom they portray as their rivals and they try to overcome them, try to outsmart them, accomplish more. This is the game in the middle class. But when you come from poverty and when you got a glimpse in to the world, when you got a glimpse in all what is possible and in all what you could accomplish, then poverty becomes a fear. A fear especially that you could fall back, back into the ditch you came from. That you could f fall back, be one of those lost souls who wander the, the streets homeless, aimlessly going somewhere or nowhere, having no plan whatsoever. And this is more, this is mortal fear. This grabs you. This shakes you to the core and this motivates you. This motivates you to do greatness. Nothing is enough anymore. You push for more. You push for greatness. And Biggie's father was like this. He was not like, or he did not get like Frederick to the chance to go to a private elite high school, in an elite school. He was actually discovered very late. But he made up for it. He was studious. He was always an A-plus student. He read and re-read all his home assignments. He did more. He didn't want to leave anything to chance anymore. Biggie's father understood he had just one chance. One chance only. And if he throws it away, then all is gone. That's why he pushed further and further. He studied medicine and then become a then he always reminded him day in and day out about his roots 
and how far he came. And he had nothing but this taste and this cast for his relatives and his family because they had not accomplished what he had. He was an upstart. He only saw things through one eye and this was that if you give everything, if you, are, if you do whatever you can, you will eventually prevail. He did not believe in being gifted or being stupid. For him, there was only one thing. And this is that you have to have a will, that you have to have a driving force that pushes you forward. And he valued everyone around him according to this sheen. Someone who wants to accomplish something in his life. He or she has to work for it. It was as simple as this for Biggie's father. But Mr. Biggs, in all his ambition and in all his willingness, did not pass this ambition on to his son. At first, you know, parents, they, they look at their offspring with different eyes. At first, Mr. Biggs, in a way, condoned his son, Jason. He thought of his son as someone who starts late, who will come into maturity later, like he did. But more and more it became apparent that his son Jason did not share his father's drive, drive to more. And the more Mr. Biggs tried to pressure his son to do something, to accomplish something, the more Jason buckled down under this heavy weight. The boy was struck by such a severe demand that he could never ever accomplish it. Because his father was an upstart and because he demanded everything. And because Mr. Biggs saw what could happen if you do not push for greatness. Because only on top you are secure. Only on top you have no competition. No one who could take away your prize. And only on top you can accomplish something. Because of this, he demanded 
from his son Jensen more even more than himself because he saw that his son has a way different starting point than he had his son had it all and his son could accomplish it all more even as he more than his father but for Jason it was too much Jason could not keep up with his father's demands and more and more Mr. Biggs grew impatient he stopped condoning his son's slowness his sluggishness and eventually he stopped considering his son as his own he secretly made a DNA test because he could not believe for a moment that this sluggish brute was of his DNA because Mr. Biggs thought of himself as special. He thought about all those people who did not accomplish anything, all those people who left behind, to whom he never returned, because he had nothing but contempt to them, because he thought of all them as lazy, as people who do not want to change anything in their lives, but to live just for the moment, just for fleeting chills. He could not bear these people, and he was the exception. Even he always said to himself and all the others that the reason why he is there where he is is because he had a lot of ambition, because he had this will and this drive, but deep inside, deep inside he thought of himself as special, as unique he has to be. Because there are not many stories about people who come out of nothing and accomplish something. Someone who grew up in the hoods and gets up, climbs the social ladder up to become dentist. To be someone, someone whom you do not have to be ashamed of. Mr. Biggs didn't have to make up something or somewhere, some place he would apparently be working. No, he was who he was. And he thought of it with pride. But his son was not 
of the same. Cut. His son did not share his drive. And after the DNA test came back positive, that Jason actually for a fact was his son. He felt deep disappointment. For some time, he even engaged in eugenics. He fought and pondered how to, how can one create the perfect specimen. Mr. Biggs even hated Jason's mother because he thought she would be the reason of his son's failure. Her weak genes because Mrs. Biggs was from the middle class. Mr. Biggs, after becoming a then artist, had married an upper middle class girl, the daughter, the daughter of a Doctor, he learned through hospital, with whom he got to know through hospital. And he thought of himself that this society and the surroundings, the social background, He, he then claimed that these people would wrongly belong there, that they wouldn't have deserved it. People who are not like him and this further enhanced Mr. Biggs assumption of being special and now his son his failure this boy who does not supposed to be his son his son become a burden a stain because whenever he thought of of his grandeur of his greatness he as well as thought about his son. Whenever he thought that he would be smart and ingenious and, and that it would be genetic, then he would as well as think of his son who had no similarities to him whatsoever. And his son became an embarrassment. He felt ashamed of it. A boy who does not in the least resemble him. And he feared, he feared that people might think of him as inferior. 
He even thought of it to say to people or claim that this would actually not be his real son. That this would be actually some boy he adopted who had with whom he had pity. Like a stray dog, he just felt pity for it. It was excruciating because Jason did not in the least live up to any expectations his father had. 